Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest AEW edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are already here with our fourth of five shows this week as we get ready to break down everything that happened across AEW over the last week. We're talking Rampage a little bit, Collision, Dynamite, and how the stage is being set, or not set really, for AEW All In and AEW All Out coming up in just a relatively short period of time. As we kick off today's show, before we get into breaking down everything that happened across AEW this week, allow me to remind you that this podcast is all about Defy. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, I promise it will be worth your while because we will read that review live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff every week. And please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I truly hope you do as well, because I would love for you to become an official getting overhead for only five bucks a month. You get to support the program. You also get bonus audio and news posts every single week. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would love it if you were to support us. Before we do get into this full breakdown of AEW, I want to go over what this week has already been like and what is still to come here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. From a scheduling perspective, Tuesday, we had our WWE episode, a lot of talk about Judgment Day, the tribal combat match that's been set between Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, and of course, LA Knight, plus much more from SmackDown and Raw all on Tuesday's show. Wednesday, we were back with your NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview. I also happened to sit down for 20 minutes with none other than former NXT Women's Champion Roxanne Perez, a fantastic conversation. I want to make sure you do not miss that. And then earlier Thursday, the Silver King was finally able to share with you his one-on-two conversation with the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins. Had an absolute blast talking to those guys. Another 20-plus minute convo and some real interesting insight into what we might be able to expect from them going forward in WWE, along with Dawkins' uh, body transformation and Montez Ford's run doing some singles in that Elimination Chamber match a few months ago. Again, do not miss the two interviews this week, along with the two episodes that we have already published, Breaking Down WWE and NXT. But that is not what this show is about. This show is about AEW. I will tell you, for the fifth time, I think it's been in six weeks. I hope I'm not losing count. Uh, I'm very much enjoyed Collision. I do think it's interesting when I look at why I like Collision, a large part of it is not just the stories they're telling and the matches that they're having, it's the talent on the show. And look, let's just be candid about what they did here. And it was smart, okay? They have a lot of former WWE talent in focus right now on Collision along with that talent. They also have some big time established names, Jay White, obviously, Juice Robinson, just being a couple examples. So they're really putting forth a veteran and in many ways, familiar type of program. That plus the type of storylines that they're doing 
commentary, production. Something about Collision is speaking to me more than Dynamite largely has for its entire existence. Now, last week, I believe I praised both shows, Collision and Dynamite. I thought Dynamite this week fell off massively from last week. Rampage again, folks, it's just a worthless show. I know that it might get frustrating if you're like a huge diehard AEW fan and every single week you hear me just say, hey, you know, Rampage was shit again. But it is, and I'm talking about it because it has storylines that continue on the show. So if I'm forced to watch it, then unfortunately you're gonna be forced to hear that I don't like Rampage, but that is just the way it goes. But we are about to break down everything that happened across all three programs, Rampage, obviously, Collision, and Dynamite, and we are going to do it based on storyline order. So we're gonna try to talk about individual storylines and circumstances involving groups of wrestlers that transpire across these programs. And then of course we wrap up everything one by one through the finish. With that said, let's start with this big tag team title storyline on Collision. FTR cut a promo ahead of their title defense next week with Cash Wheeler reminding Adam Cole, MJF cannot be trusted, referring to their time back in the pinnacle. Dax Harwood thought the challengers were taking the tag team titles as a joke with all their comedy stuff while he's done everything possible to make FTR the world's greatest tag team. Strong, you know, classic old school style promo from FTR. It kind of felt a bit forced because really the entire storyline is a bit forced. And also Dax, every time he speaks, I mean, he needs something other than referencing his family and how they take tag team wrestling seriously and how they're the greatest tag team in the world. He has to bring something else because he's far too good on the mic to just rely on the same thing over and over again. It's like what we say about MJF when, you know, previously, not in this feud in particular, but a lot of his promos when he comes out there and tears people down and he talks about being the devil and the bidding war of 2024, it's it's monotonous, it's repetitive. Dax is better than the promo he gave on Saturday. That's all I'm trying to say. On Dynamite, they promoted a We Will Hear From segment of MJF and Adam Cole. Turns out it was taped last week after Dynamite. So they weren't even on the show live. MJF in that tape promo said he liked FTR better when they were his lackeys. He talked shit about Cash's mullet. And he said Dax looked like Yosemite Sam repeating the same promo from every week. Interesting that he said that on Wednesday, last Wednesday, before Dax cut that promo live on Saturday, because it wasn't untrue. He also said he'd punch him so hard that Dax would spit out CM Punk's jockstrap. Also not untrue. That probably would happen if he got hit very hard. Cole said this started about winning gold, but now it's about friendship. And he never thought that they would actually get along. Cole promised MJF he has nothing to worry about when it comes to the title because he's becoming legitimately one of his best friends. MJF said no matter the result, he will give Cole a title rematch, which obviously was a shocking proclamation there. But right as he said it, Roderick Strong ran in. He shoved MJF. Cole split them up. He reassured Strong, dude, I love you, but you're acting insane, and the way you're acting is pushing me away. So then we got a taped promo from FTR on Dynamite. So I just want to get your head around this. They taped a promo last Wednesday to air on TV this Wednesday, but between that, cut a promo live on Saturday. So the promo they taped last Wednesday aired after a live promo they taped on Saturday. I just want you to like consider that, right? So Cash said he liked Cole but hates MJF and everyone that's ever been around MJF, including his fiance, has left him. Dax said he won't get worked up over MJF's gimmick, 
because this is real life to him. Wait a minute, is this not real? And then he promised to beat the shit out of Max and somehow knew all the items MJF mentioned in his promo, even though it was taped separately. The FTR promo on Wednesday, I thought it was completely unnecessary. It would have been better to air snippets of their promo from Collision than try to fit this into the show. Once again, MJF and Cole provided, you can make an argument, the best segment on Dynamite, despite not even being at the show live. Their back and forth also creates a lot of intriguing possibilities for Saturday's title match and creative moving forward. You could have strong interfering and costing them the titles. That would be a way to keep the MJF-Cole friendship with Cole possibly moving on into a program with Strong while MJF focuses on Punk. More on that later. MJF also offering that title match. It was so incredibly out of character, right? Like one would think taking a historical look at a setup like this, the way it would work is we would be in line for a double turn. Cole and Strong having planned this entire thing out and then turning on MJF despite the tag team title opportunity beating the shit out of him and then Cole demanding the rematch. Except there's really been no indication that there's any desire for MJF to be a legitimate babyface, nor does that feel like the right positioning for his character. Obviously, another possibility is MJF just turning on Cole, Strong saying, I told you so, and MJF possibly fighting Strong and then Cole down the line. But if that's the booking, having MJF offer the title match out of nowhere, while that does make Cole seem kind of smart for buttering him up to get him to do that. It doesn't really track with MJF as a heel. So again, definitely intriguing. A good promotion for the title match on Collision. I might actually watch that live Saturday if I happen to be home. Not sure I will be. But I am a little bit confused at what they're going to be doing coming out of that match. I guess we'll have to see on Saturday. On Rampage, they had the Royal Rampage match. Nick Wayne eliminated Big Bill with Swerve Strickland's help after like 27 minutes. Then Wayne did sliced bread on Swerve off Brian Cage's chest. Wayne used Swerve to eliminate Cage, but Swerve snapped his arm over the top rope for an elimination. That left Swerve and Darby Allen. I'm reminded now that Minoru Suzuki was randomly in this match. Swerve powerbombed Darby into the wheels of his skateboard, and the finish came with Darby doing the Biggie-style tope spear through the ropes with Swerve touching the floor first. Now, the result was Darby getting a TNT title match at All Out, which is more than 40 days from this rampage. So look, I loved the aesthetic of this match and the show, having one ring with red ropes and the other with blue. It looked great from the hard cam. The biggest issue with the match was there were just too few people involved for using that much space. And the delayed entries made the entire deal really slow and uneventful. Much better would have been to either start with everyone in the ring or more people in the ring and not do timed entries. Even once we got to Swerve and Darby, like the crowd like started percolating. They're like, oh, holy shit, we're getting Swerve and Darby. But they didn't really do much because they had a singles match scheduled for Dynamite. So look, they're normally great together. I wouldn't say they were great here. A number one contendership this far out, that's a little bit odd, but it is what it is. It's this match on Rampage. I thought this version of the match last year, far more successful than this year. On Collision, Ricky Starks got an entire fireworks celebration. It seemed to legitimately last like a good minute celebrating him as he made his entrance into the ring for winning the Owen. He fully looked like The Rock. He had a black satin shirt carrying the Owen title and a Louis bag that had nothing in it. He was just showing it off. Starks said how he beat CM Punk. The way he did that doesn't actually matter. And anyone else in his position would have done the same thing. 
He also said, by any means necessary, which I thought was interesting. Starks said he didn't want to be a pillar. He stands on his own. Then Punk came out to no music and got booed, even though Starks was cutting a heel promo. That's because Collision was in New Jersey, where Punk consistently talks shit about the Devils. Yeah, all your sports teams, they're all failures. I'm kidding. Obviously, both of these guys are great promos. I just like using that sound drop when I can. Uh, Punk sarcastically asked Starks how he can live with knowing he can't beat him without cheating. Starks said his bag is as empty as the one Punk has been carrying around. That brought Punk all the way back from the ramp. He was on his way walking out, back into the ring where Punk finally, for the first time verbally, claimed, I am the real world champion. Then Christian Cage and Luchasaurus came out suggesting they were the TNT champion, asking what kind of man carries around a championship they didn't win. Good line. Darby Allen then walked out behind Christian, stole the mic out of his hand. He said he also hates the pillar term because anyone who is ride or die AEW can be a pillar, including Punk. Then Darby made an expected tag team challenge with Tony Khan, apparently telling Shivani through his earpiece, the match is official. This was a pretty good opening segment all around. The crowd was hot for everyone. Two huge baby faces teamed up. Everything said was believable and the match booking was well worth a viewer sticking around for the main event. Punk claiming he's the real champion. Look, it's kind of an eye roll for me, right? If they do an MJF feud and MJF calls him out for why he had to relinquish the title, that will be hot when it happens. One presumes the booking will be probably like a ladder match, a la Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, as they look to be doing the two belt gimmick with Punk holding one and MJF, of course, holding the triple B. I could potentially see a booking where that match happens at all in. And then you have MJF and Cole scheduled the next week for, for all out. So that way, MJF goes balls to the wall against Punk, beats him, becomes the official undisputed, let's call it, AEW world champion. And then because he's so tired, he got the shit kicked out of him one week prior, loses to Cole at all out. That is how I would book it if I had the pencil. Punk and Darby fought Starks and Christian. There were dual chants for Punk and Starks during the match. This was the main event, as I said. Scorpio Sky was shown watching in a suite. This random tag match went 25 minutes, by the way. Starks caught go to sleep in a counter. Starks then caught Darby flying off the ropes, doing nothing with a rebound spear, following with Rochambeau for a false finish. Those are his two finishers, so it felt like that probably should have been the end of the match. Darby countered with an inverted DDT off the ropes. Christian raked Punk's eyes. Punk pulled him off the ring apron for go to sleep at ringside. Darby went for a coffin drop, but Luchasaurus tripped him on the apron, or on the top rope, I should say, sorry, with the referee distracted. Starks countered a trap pinning combination, again grabbing the bottom rope for extra leverage and the cheating victory over the faces. Punk was infuriated, slamming the canvas after the bell, and the rope this time, it actually didn't help him at all. The visual worked for what they were trying to do, but there was no aiding of the rope in that pinfall attempt. Overall, extremely successful match and in-show storyline, though again, it just kind of went way too long. It was about seven to 10 minutes of unnecessary wrestling that could have gone to another storyline, maybe the women's division. The crowd was hot for it though. Also, we got the right winner with Starks doubling down as a heel. He is much better in that role than being able to say, hey, Punk, I beat you twice, once head to head, once in a tag team match. That's good shit talking that he'll be able to do. On Dynamite, we had an international championship match, Orange Cassidy against AR Fox. Before the match, we got a video package of Darby putting over Fox for being a great guy, helping him get off the street and becoming a wrestler. As we said last week, that's all well and good. And it's a great touching story of friendship. That doesn't mean when the match was initially made, 
that the storyline made any sense. Again, if Darby cared so much about getting Fox title opportunities, he could have defended the TNT title against him all those times that he was strapped up. Instead, he's asking Orange to randomly put his title on the line against a guy just because, he, I don't know, he wants to be nice to Darby. It's bad storytelling. Now, you could have completely fast-forwarded the first 15 minutes of Dynamite and not missed anything. Fox had an excellent sell on a spike Tornado DDT. He also ate Beach Break for a 2.5. Fox then hit the seated Spanish fly that he taught Austin Theory. Orange then dodged a 450 and caught Fox in a double arm trap pinning combination to retain the title. Orange put his glasses on Fox after the bell. AR gave a thumbs up. And then seconds later, Fox took the glasses off, broke them behind his back, and just punched Orange straight in the face. Then he sold it, like looking at his hands. What did I do? I can't believe I just did that. Darby ran down angry. He shoved him because he put his name on the line for him. Then Mox, out of nowhere, John Moxley attacks Orange with a huge lariat and paradigm shift, screaming in his face and storming out through the crowd. Commentary kind of like ignored this crazy thing that just happened. This guy, this rabid Wolverine, John Moxley, jumps out of a crowd, kills Orange Cassidy. And they're like, all right, let's check out this video package. It was very funny. Uh, this was exactly the match that one would expect from two guys who can go, Orange and Fox. They can both go. I actually thought Fox's heel turn was fully justified. Cassidy messed with him the entire match and then tried to make good with this 35-year-old man who certainly doesn't need his charity. I'd have punched him in the face too. Now, at least the post-match explains why they did this storyline and more of that happened later. Better though would have been Darby getting Fox a number one contendership opportunity so that way he could have earned the title match then lost, and it could have played out the same way. Claudio Castagnoli later tried and failed, cutting some promo with Wheeler Yuta backstage. Mox just barged in, interrupted, saying he attacked Orange because he was trying to be cool. We better make sure he never sees Carlito in like a grocery store or something. He might kill him. In terms of Mox's attack, look, if you're gonna have someone end Orange's reign and keep prestige on the international title, certainly Mox would be a great option. Maybe not the best option. You know, getting some fresh blood in the mix would be nice. Swerve would be a great option, but definitely a solid option, especially since he's kind of out of the world title picture. He needs something to do after the elite feud. At the same time, we saw footage of Orange and Yuta having the stare down at the Ring of Honor show. I unfortunately did not get a chance to watch that before taping this podcast. So it was just unclear if he was actually going for the title, if Mox was, or he just attacked him because there was a random main event match scheduled with best friends, and therefore they're trying to create a trio's view. On Dynamite later, Darby fought Swerve. Darby hit Code Red at ringside. Then he set up some steps at ringside, only for Swerve to jump off them with that perfect head kick that he does. The spot was fantastic. Swerve later escaped a Last Supper pinning combination. Swerve also countered Darby's cannonball tope with a direct knee to the head and hit a Swerve stomp where, again, this move, he just lands on the side of someone's head with his feet, it is an awful move. I, Swerve is great. You guys probably know he's one of my favorite wrestlers in AEW. The Swerve Stomp is among the worst moves that anyone does in the company. It does not work. He's got to move away from it. Darby countered him off the ropes with his flip over DDT. Swerve came back with a great avalanche Death Valley driver onto the ring apron with Prince Nana distracting the referee and Wayne going after him. Fox ran out of the crowd, threw Darby into the ring post gave Swerve an opening for the JML driver, and Swerve got the win. Fox then attacked Darby and Wayne with the skateboard before holding up a Mogul Embassy shirt. 
So just to be clear of what happened here, okay? Darby won the TNT number one contendership on Rampage and then lost consecutive matches. Granted, both were via cheating, but this is a newly crowned number one contender that they did that to. The Fox turn, it was extremely well done. And he immediately becomes like the second most interesting member of Mogul Embassy behind Swerve himself. It seems like Brian Cage has left that group and is now going to be teaming with Big Bill, but they didn't like do any exit of him from the group or anything. No storyline. It just doesn't seem like he's with them anymore. It doesn't change my thoughts at all, by the way, on the setup of this entire thing. But at least there was a major storyline reason for doing it that played out in an entertaining and ultimately sensible fashion after the fact. I presume this all Seattle tag team match is next. Feels like they kind of did all this just so Wayne could fight with all the guys he knows immediately after debuting. The guy's going to be there for years. I don't know why they had to rush to do this right away. I digress. The match was fantastic. The finish did not allow me to go to a full A. I was on my way there. Still extremely strong. Four stars, A minus. Definitely worth watching if you skip around and don't necessarily stop on everything that happens each week on Dynamite. The main event of Dynamite was Mox and Claudio against the Lucha Brothers and best friends in a triple threat tag team match. The bell rang as the Lucha Bros and best friends began fighting. BCC was still deep in the crowd. Why would you ring the bell before everyone's in the ring or at least in the ringside area? This was fire basically from bell to bell. And it was essentially a tornado match most of the time, which again, I've said this repeatedly, just make it tornado rules if you're not gonna care about tagging. Best friends hit stereo pile drivers on Lucha Bros. Pentagon hit Made in Japan for a broken fall. Ray Phoenix had a great handstand sell on a paradigm shift. Then BCC stomped and elbowed the shit out of best friends. There was an extremely slow setup in the ring because Orange had to make an entrance. It got delayed. He eventually got out there. He eviscerated Utah with a orange punch and then brawled with Mox on the ramp. Tremperetta countered Claudio into a sitting bomb, but Claudio wasn't legal. So the Lucha Bros popped up, catching him with Fear Factor for the win. BCC attacked Best Friends after the bell, then triple teamed Orange. Lucha Bros made the save, but Best Friends then fought with them rather than BCC for no reason. Mox walked away. He just walked into the ground. He's like, I'm done. And then Mox, Trent, and Pentagon were announced as a singles triple threat match next week, which, okay, like they're just like forcing this feud into reality, I guess. Orange also beat the shit out of Claudio in the final seconds, which was kind of weird. He just killed him in the final like 45 seconds of TV. Lucha Bros were definitely the right winners here. I just didn't think they were going to win because BCC was in the match. The finish was executed perfectly with Trent looking like he would have gotten the win had it not been for him pinning the wrong guy. I actually loved everything about this, despite the match not really having much reason for happening. And then the post-match, it was really odd and chaotic. It kind of left me wondering why Pac wasn't involved, given his beef with Claudio and him being a death triangle teammate of the Lucha Bros. I don't think they ever broke up following that series with the Elite, so he still should have been with them, as far as I know. It also didn't clarify whether Orange would be challenged by Yuta or Mox since he brawled with both of them. And one would think, based on what I just said, the feud might be a three-way trios battle, best friends, BCC triangle. That would make a lot of sense for a number one contendership match. My point is, there's a lot of elements coming together here and in many ways in which those can work out creatively, yet there's not really a clear direction on the way it's going to go, if that makes sense. Still though, I did enjoy it. On Dynamite, Don Callis spoke with Chris Jericho backstage, 
suggesting he tag with Konosuke Takeshka as a way to dip his toe into the water and try out the Callis family deal. And then, of course, Callis revealed Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara would be their opponents, saying he did that because Jericho said they needed to grow on their own occasionally. Jericho was obviously unsure about this at first. Eventually, he reluctantly agreed. Then Callis presented him with an artist rendering of their 1995 promo with Bad News Allen, saying he knew the perfect place to put it. And look, Callis is just such a great, smarmy, asshole heel. And Jericho is obviously terrific in segments like these. So this was perfectly executed. No notes. Really smart way to advance the story. And then later backstage, you had 2.0 and the JAS women, including pregnant Ty Mello, just standing outside the locker room for some reason, waiting for Jericho. They could have just gone inside. Once they entered, the painting was on the wall. Anna JAS was the only one to actually say something meaningful, but it was sloppy. And then Daddy Magic was the only one who was at all believable in the words they delivered, telling Jericho, figure this out and fast. If the Jericho Callis segment was Broadway, this was like a middle school play. On Rampage, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn fought QTV. Max Caster had a top tier line that should have gotten a much bigger response. Who's the reject from the movie Barbie? I saw her naked. Now I'm thinking Arby's. Gonna look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. Hey freaking now. My Lord, what a line. Tagging was almost non-existent. Billy ate a ton of offense, but acclaimed rallied, hitting their signatures with Caster nailing mic drop before Billy covered for the one, two, three. After the bell, the acclaimed were focused on winning the trio's titles on collision. Not much here to discuss, really, so let's just move on. On collision, Andrade El Idolo was told by security, management doesn't want you here because of last week. The idea being that there needed to be a clean result in the trio's match. But Andrade, a babyface, hasn't done anything to suggest he would interfere. So it was really odd that management would go to all those steps in kayfabe for no reason. I thought that was really stupid. Also on collision, trio's title match, House of Black acclaimed. Buddy Matthews finally, finally became the first person, I think, to attack Caster during his rap. He ran right out of the ring with a huge pump knee right to his face before the bell. Billy got the hot tag. He quickly ate a lariat by Brody King with Malachi Black drilling him with Black Mass for the win in four minutes and 31 seconds. Yes, less than five minutes. After the bell, House of Black kind of lorded over Gun with Black whispering in his ear and putting his arm around him on the canvas. Matthews did the same and they walked out. Moments later, Billy sat in the corner. He unlaced his boots. Fans chanted, you still got it. He briefly shook his head no. He placed his boots in the middle of the ring, pushed his way past the acclaimed, and walked out. So given nothing has been said about this since, I think it's a total storyline move and not any legitimate type of retirement. The guy is 59, though. So, you know, maybe this is leading to like a retirement run of matches or a retirement storyline, something like that. You just generally don't do this unless you're actually retiring. Many traditionalists would actually say making a storyline out of putting your boots in the ring is bad form. I'm not saying that, but I can tell you other people would. There's really nothing else to say about the match given its length. Acclaimed never should have gotten the title shot. And regarding Billy, again, I just think it's a storyline. I don't think he's retiring yet. But you can make an argument that maybe he should. Something else of note here. Do you guys remember the entire house rules gimmick? including the special rule that challengers could pick and the unique visual aesthetic of the trio's title matches with House of Black, that is all completely disappeared. If memory serves, that was almost universally praised. So I have no idea 
why they've chosen to go away from house rules, chosen to go away from the aesthetic when it really separated the trio's titles and House of Black from what we get throughout the rest of the show. I was pretty disappointed by that. On Rampage, Sky Blue fought Taya Valkyrie. Taya was in a full heel role at this point. She crushed Sky with a lariat and did the arm pull chest stomp move. I don't know what that's called for the win. She was far more interesting working heel than she has been throughout her AEW run as a face. Taya cut a promo on Britt Baker. Didn't really make any sense whatsoever, but she did deliver it well. She challenged her one-on-one -on, -one on Dynamite. Commentary suggested Taya should get another title opportunity. She has lost four title matches since April, two since June. A title match is the last thing that Taya should be getting. My thought was they gotta be putting Britt over Taya to make her number one contender. So let's move to Dynamite, Baker against Valkyrie. Before the match, Britt said she was surprised to hear the challenge, but was excited to fight her. Then she called herself TBS, The Brit Show, which look, I'm not trying to nitpick, but talk about being painfully unoriginal. That is painfully unoriginal. This was back in the standard women's spot. Baker slipped after Valkyrie caught her for what would have been Road to Valhalla if it was hit. I presume she was supposed to escape it since it went straight to commercial. Baker hit a ripcord elbow for a one count. Then she hit Panama Sunrise. Taya got up on her. Baker escaped Road to Valhalla, grabbing the arm for a counter into a lockjaw and the immediate tap out. I kind of liked the finishing sequence, the final 30 seconds, at least the way it was planned. But much of it besides that was sloppy. This was like Taya's 15th featured match on AEW TV in the last few months. And she again lost when she was actually facing a legitimate competitor. Hysterically, as soon as this match ended, literally as soon as the bell ended, AEW production flashed into the crowd and landed on a sign that says, quote, book the women's division better. You could not script it. And if you think I'm lying, I tweeted a picture of it. So go check it out at Getting Overcast. Now you knew Baker was winning as soon as this was set. And I'm not saying that's the wrong decision by any means. She is atop the division. But while this was a legitimate match and much better than some of the women's matches that AEW has given us recently, it just didn't feel like it mattered that much. And the wrestling really was not good. I mean, Ty is a good wrestler. Britt just kind of seems to be on this downward trajectory. We talked about this with Cora Jade over on NXT. Britt just seems to be getting worse with each match that she's having. It's very surprising. I'm sure this is going to be part of Baker making her way up into a number one contendership role, or at least a situation where she's challenging for the number one contendership. But the way they've booked Taya has been terrible. Again, Taya better not have another title match for like a year. And Britt, if she is going to be number one contender, it's an eye roll. Like how many times does she need to be in that exact same situation? On Collision, Jay White and Juice Robinson fought Darius Martin in action and ready. The heels had a four-on-two advantage all match. Juice hit a pendulum DDT. White hit Blade Runner. Totally missed by production for the win. The heels all attacked after the bell like usual. And look, my only take here, seeing the guns ringside all match, I realized it's kind of odd that there's two tag teams in this faction with White and Robinson doing all the tag work despite the guns being the more firmly established team. What is there for them to do if White and Robinson get all the big matches? On Dynamite, Pack fought Gravity. You may ask, hey, Silver King, why did this match happen against another random non-roster wrestler? And who is Gravity? You can ask me that 10,000 times, Cole, I'm never gonna have an answer for you. At the bell, commentary called Pack by his old WWE name, the man who Gravity forgot, trying to suggest that some part of this match was because the guy happened to have the same name. Cute, but like, come on. Gravity at one point acted like he was walking on the moon. Pack hit an 
Avalanche Brain Buster, and then one with the Brutalizer. Pack kept it locked in after the bell, talked shit. Nothing else happened. The match was fine. Not good enough to put this guy Gravity on TV to say, oh, you need to see him. He's so great. You know, it wasn't Commander. It wasn't Vikingo. It was just a luchador. That's the best way I can say it. On Dynamite, there was a hook vignette that was literally him sitting on a subway bench with the FTW title. A train going by and the title disappearing. The train going by again and hook disappearing. What the fuck was this? Come on, this is, it's a joke, right? It's a joke, Goose. You ripping me? Jack Perry then came out, talked shit about Hook, said the FTW title was created in a second-class company full of scumbags, referring to ECW. He said the title has never been recognized, but now that he has it, he's the best to ever hold it. He called out Taz, who just laughed at him on commentary. Then Jerry Lynn, who is an AEW agent now, came out calling him Jungle. He praised ECW, which finally got an ECW chant. They were trying to get it done the entire segment. Then he dropped the mic wanting to fight Jungle. So Perry challenged him for next week. The segment wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good either. Jack is making, let's call it, incremental progress with the heel promo work. But again, he just, I'm sorry, he does not have it. The charisma isn't there. The conviction isn't there. It's painfully obvious. They're trying hard to find something for this guy to sink his teeth into and latch onto. But shitting on ECW in 2023, maybe fighting 60-year-old Jerry Lynn or at least beating him up next week, I mean, maybe the live crowd will get heat for that, but I don't know. It seems horrendously forced to me. On Rampage, the TBS title was on the line again for no reason. Chris Statlander defending against Marina Shafir. This was the main event because, well, it was the only time on the show to fit in a women's match. Stat hit a discus lariat and Friday Night Fever for the win. Seven defenses, I believe zero storylines for her since beating Jade Cargill. Remember, Tony Khan waited like nine months for Stat to get healthy so he could finally take the title off Jade. Refused to pivot. It was so important for Stat to be the one to beat Jade. They waited the better part of a year to make it happen. And then they did absolutely nothing with Stat afterwards. She is doing nothing. Are her matches better? No question. I would rather watch a Stat match than a Jade match any day of the week. She's far better in the ring, far more entertaining. She's not cutting promos. She's not developing storylines and is not taking any of the momentum that Jade had and using it for herself. It's a complete non-factor. And lastly, on collision, Miro fought Nick Camarado. Very exciting. Miro got attacked during his entrance only to beat Camarado in like 90 seconds. Might've been less. Once the bell rang using game over for the submission victory. It was a dominant turnaround in the segment. The crowd popped huge for Miro. They did. But again, for the fifth straight week, no storyline, nothing else happening for him. So folks, look, it was a mixed bag in AEW this week. There was definitely a number of significant positives, especially when you're looking at the main storylines across Dynamite and Collision. But then once you get into like everything else on the shows, it just falls apart. And what's crazy is AEW All In is very soon. AEW All Out, I said as of last Friday, was 40 days away. So now it's less than 35 days away. And outside of Darby Allen being the number one contendership for the TNT championship, nothing else has been announced for either of these shows. Now, look, yes, it's very possible that in the next week, all of a sudden we get three or four match announcements. And then we say, okay, we're off and running. But 
you know, this is a huge show for AEW, All In. It's one of the biggest professional wrestling shows ever, really. I mean, it, the number of tickets they've sold, it's, it's astronomical. What are you going to put on that show? Is the show going to live up to the billing that has been created based on the ticket sales? These are questions that, as of right now, remain unanswered, and we will have to see what happens over the next week before we discuss AEW next week, same bat time, same bat channel, right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Speaking of our schedule, we will be publishing six podcasts in an eight-day span between this Tuesday and next Tuesday. So a reminder once more what we already have for you to listen to. On Tuesday, we had our WWE episode talking Judgment Day, Tribal Combat, LA Knight, and everything else across SmackDown and Raw. On Wednesday, we had your NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview with a one-on-one interview with Roxanne Perez you do not want to miss. Earlier Thursday, the Silver King, your boy, right here, sat down one-on-two with the Street Profits for an extensive interview. You do not want to miss that either. And of course, coming up this Sunday, we will have your NXT Great American Bash Instant Reaction Podcast. We will post pre- and post-show polls on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Make sure you vote in those and join us for the instant reaction as soon as it goes off the air. Next Tuesday, WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Do not want to miss that either. I appreciate all of you listening to today's show. As always, on the way out, let me remind you first that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for those NXT polls, but for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I would love it if you guys decided to contribute five bucks a month to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You guys know how many episodes we produce, how much we do on Twitter, and of course, what we do for our official Getting Overheads bonus audio, news posts, all that good stuff. If you feel like supporting us, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would appreciate it greatly. Thanks once again to everyone for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The Silver King is going to try resting his voice for a couple of days. We will be back on Sunday with that NXT Great American Bash instant reaction. But at this point, it is time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.